0: To some degree, characters in these stories are empowered by overcoming trauma. But you can also see the trauma as creating or inspiring the empowerment. That's from Noah Berlatsky of the Chicago Reader. He's talking about Encanto. Yes, we do need to talk about Bruno. Also, Parallel Mothers, a new film from Pedro Almodovar, which finally completes my epic mission to see all the Oscar nominees in the major categories. More on that in a second. Penelope Cruz was nominated for Best Actress. And, in honor of Black History Month, our old movie this month, This week, rather, is The Hurricane, Denzel Washington. I like to call it peak Denzel. Fantastic movie about him being uh, Reuben Hurricane Carter, wrongfully imprisoned. Eventually, he gets his fight for innocence directed by Norman Jewison. In addition to that, we also have The Wild Card, which is Stanley Nelson, director of Attica. One of the films nominated for Best Documentary. Stanley is an acclaimed documentarian and excellent documentary that he made called Attica, currently available on Showtime and free on YouTube. But most importantly, Cody, you did your homework a week later. Mm-hmm. You watch Reservoir Dogs. What would you think?
1: I really liked it, dude. And that's my take. That's it. All right, moving on. No, no, no hang um, on a second. You
0: said you would give me more thoughts. Come on.
1: <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, I love the way that it's so simple. I don't know. And see, I don't know lingo like you do with the movies. It felt like there wasn't a lot of plot. It yes. felt like it was just like robbery bad guys, you get it, and then they just do a bunch of cool shit, a bunch of interesting dialogue, but it's like, I don't really like know anything about these guys.
0: Yeah, I, I, it definitely has a Tarantino hallmark, so what you're referring to is that less plot, more character, right? It's just character-driven yeah. storytelling and the non-linear storytelling, which he really did in Pulp Fix with the story cross-cutting between different stories and different time shifts. Of course, what's happening to Sam Jackson and John Travolta, Travolta dies, moving through the movie, but the movie ends with a scene earlier from their life. So you're right, he, he it, loves that non-linear storytelling. It, 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 all, it almost makes you, like I'm watching
1: it and I'm thinking to myself, this seems like it's easy to make this type of movie, but it's not. Obviously Tarantino is brilliant with the way he writes, And his dialogue is just next level. But he makes the movies, I guess, to what your point, more characters than plot. So you're thinking to yourself, this concept is not – I could have thought of this concept. Mm -hmm. But it's like the way he obviously executes it is obviously what makes him so great. But it's just – it's a movie you watch and you're like, man, I could make movies. This doesn't seem that difficult in terms of like just – the, the premise of it.
0: No, that's a great point. It's just a bunch of cool guys talking smack. I can do that. I can yeah. meet my friends with that every week. Like, that's basically yeah. what the story is. A bunch of bad guys, some violence guy, hacks up in ears, some cool music. But you're right, Tarantino does it in an effortless manner. I believe he was 27 when he made the film, which is remarkable. Maybe 29. But former video store clerk done good. Reservoir Dogs was his first and big I, movie. I love it. Chris Cody is film critic. Breaking the Reservoir Dogs. Look at me. I think, I'm going to guess right now, you have not seen The Hurricanes starring Denzel Washington, but maybe we'll get a review from you next week.
1: Yeah, we keep this theme of just annoying (laughs) the audience by giving them reviews on movies that you're not
0: talking about. Never. Uh, We'll get to those movies in a second. I do want to recap my Winter Olympics experience, and first and foremost, thanks to Dan It seemed
1: emotional for you. It seemed emotional for you. It seemed like you really enjoyed that Winter Olympics thing. Dude,
0: it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. I mean, I loved every second of it. I loved the Winter Olympics first and foremost. I loved the conventional events, hockey and figure skating and curling and skiing, the the sound of the skis, that gnat sound. But I also Love the newer events, the snow cross, and I loved old school stuff, which I never appreciated, like biathlon. You ski, then you shoot, cross country skiing, the the endurance. But I think with the, with the Winter Olympics, it's either you're all in or you're all out. Like I'm sure I've listened to some of the show. Stu Gatz is still talking about. You know, Mike Rusioni and Jim Craig did his list of five favorite Winter <laughs> Olympians. Clearly, I do not believe you or your show unit were locked in. But if you're like me, you're watching everything. Like, I was I was locked in the entire world of the storytelling. I did my top five favorite moments. Every day we did Rings of Honor, so the top five plays of the day. I did my mm-hmm. top five stories. Number one was Alexander Bolshinov, this cross-country skier. He and, and I love saying these names. It was such a challenge every day. I said, okay, let me see if I can hit these names. Will, my researcher, was so great. He had all of it fantasized. Johannes hausfeld Klabo. Like, what of the great <laughs> names? Johannes house for club and have have to say it like that? Yeah, I had to say it like this. I wanted to sound like I was, you know, of that world. And Alexander Bolshinov, who I love. Bolshinov looked like a Bond villain. This guy was the like freaking Terminator. Yeah. At one then, point, I was like, what kind of Bolshinov is this? Like, he was awesome. And Bolshinov-Klabo is one of the great rivalries in cross-country skiing. It's like Magic Bird. It's like Ali Frazier. Those guys going toe-to-toe is amazing. Canadian women's hockey beating the Canada, excuse me, U.S. hockey. Apologies, but big for Canada. I mean, they outscored their opponents by 47 goals. A record. It was amazing. But I also love the American stories There's there's a guy named Nick Baumgartner who won in the snow cross. Now, he lost earlier. He's 40 years old and he's crying, Cody, on camera. He goes, listen, I want to apologize to my son back home. I let you down. I'm 40 years old. I don't know how many more chances I'm going to get. Two days later, it's the mixed-team snowcross. So, Lindsey Jacob Ellis, who also won gold in the snowcross, female, he goes first, he wins his leg. And then Jacob Ellis wins, so the Team USA wins. He's crying. It was an amazing moment. Like That's what the Olympics that's is. Cool. A guy gets kicked to the curb and then comes back to win, and he looks a lot like Will Ferrell. So, everyone kept saying, cannot wait <laughs> to see Will Ferrell play Nick Baumgartner in the movie. I also love Aaron Jackson, first black female ever to win in short track. She won the short track 500-meter speed skating, which is like the 100-meter in track. Like, they're just flying around the ice. Yeah. Uh, and I also love Royu Kobayashi. You know, I love the ski jumpers. This guy's unbelievable. Like you think of Kobayashi, you think of the hot dog champion, and you think of the character by played by Pete Postlewaite in *The Usual Suspects*. But this Kobayashi, he won the normal hill. He finished second in the large hill. It was an amazing experience. And I want to tell you some stories behind the scenes, which you'll be amused by. So Dan, of course, are a phenomenal executive producer. 23 years at ESPN, eight years at NBC. Pro's pro, exacting, intense, but very creative. Like out of the gate, he's like, "Hey." First conversation is we're giving you a movie segment. I'm well aware of your movie stuff. We're going to do a segment every day. We, we get a sport, and we link it to the movie. So skiing, downhill racer, boom, Robert Redford film. Uh, yeah. We're going to do bobsled and cool runnings. So we're going to do hockey and miracle and D2. But sometimes it got kind of tricky, like biathlon. I'm like, there's been no great biathlon movie. <laughs> oh, there's a biathlete in the James Bond film For Your Eyes Only. I'm like, all right, we're talking James Bond then. So sometimes it was a reach, but Dave Teodosio, my writer. How about that? I had a writer. Cody, i like, you. I think I can write my own ladies. I'd walk in. I'm up at 5:30. I'm in there at 7:15. 15-minute drive. Once I fired the driver, I'm in there. D- unlimited food at NBC. I don't know what the situation there in South Beach is for you guys at the Clevelander, <laughs> but you walk into NBC, tater tots, egg oh. whites, eggs, pancakes, oatmeal, steel-cut oatmeal, raisin bran oatmeal. I'm like, this is unreal. All free. Oh. I'm going on the house. Dave's writing all my on cameras. Will's got all the research. I'm like, this is wow. a j- This is a joke. Like, what do they need a- you for? Yeah, they don't exactly, you know I mean. a robot could have done this. Like literally, just a monkey could have always done the show. That's honestly
1: great producing though, of like oh. leaning into the movie stuff and like knowing your talent. Yeah. Like that's that's textbook. Katie great Nolan, producing. who
0: of course Metal Arc fans know and love. Katie yes. came on, she was doing stuff for NBC. I asked her about doubles luge. Would she do doubles luge, which is just an incredibly comedic sport? And she said I would do it, but I'd have to be on my top. Which of course led to the awkward moment of me saying, Well, who's your partner? And that's Megan Rapino and Sue Bird were Katie Nolan's choices. So I don't I don't <laughs> even get a threesome in the triple luge. They even gave me a dressing room. And I'm like, listen, I don't need a dressing room. Like, I can just change in the bathroom. No, no, had my name on it. Here's you did the best one of the part.
1: teaser videos for us from there. Yeah, the exactly. Bathroom. I was like, well, let
0: me yeah. just show the audience. Spacious. Here's the best part. I walk in there, and, and, and what are you going to be wearing? And I'm like, I don't know. I just I bring in a suit. I wear whatever I going to wear. No, no, no. You give us the suits you're going to wear. We'll steam them for you. I've never steamed a suit in my life. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've never dry cleaned a suit in a long time. Let's be honest. Wow. The shirts I dry clean, but the suits, I'm like, well, You put it on, you take it off. We'll, we'll steam them, which I think is kind of like dry cleaning. I'd walk in the dressing room. There would be a dress shirt, a tie, a pocket square, a belt sometimes, sometimes wow. a pair of dress shoes, but without fail, an undershirt and a pair of socks. And wow. I walked at the first day, I go, let me be clear, the suit I recognize, that's my suit, the rest of this isn't mine. How, how is this going to go? They go, you put it on, you go do the show, and afterwards, you dump it in a pile right there. Like a teenage boy, just leave your clothes in the corner and we'll take wow. care of it. NBC, and, huh? And I'm like, the fact there was an under, I go, can I just keep the undershirt and the socks? No. You have to leave it in a pile. But but we're looking after here. I mean it was and, and how about this? I go do the show. Again, you get makeup for every show. I know people are Oh, you guys put makeup on. That, that's the life. And listen, all actors wear makeup, let's be clear. Sylvester so Stallone wears makeup. You go do the show, you have makeup on. They would come out halfway through a wardrobe person literally and I'm the worst with ties, I hate wearing ties. And fix so your they would tie, come and give fix you a little touch tie. up. Yeah, little touch up. And they get like a, uh, a lint roller. roller. The lint wow. roller at one point, she kind of like frisked me, like, "What is going on here?" But she was trying to, to push down the shirt and to wow. fix the time. Like I'm being rubbed up. Did she feed you here. strawberries
1: next? <laughs> like, like was, was there a big like fan, yeah. like a big like uh, oh. you know palm tree from? Like, like uh, I, I, being I, wait-
0: I, Dan said in my ear one place, you didn't get this treatment at ESPN. I go, no way. People think said, no, no. This, this was well above beyond ESPN. ESPN, you get your makeup, a little touch-up. There was no wardrobe person. There's no lint roller remover. There's no one <sighs> frisking and making your shirt. Is it? It was unreal. At one point, one of my shoes was untied. I swear, she was coming up to tie my shoe because I was lot I, oh, I can do my shoe and talk at the same time. It's okay. But I'm th- just going to miss the pampering.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, no wonder you're emotional about this thing. <laughs> I mean, you're like, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life, not just work. It's yeah. like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's why my brother texted me, How does it feel like? Oh, I'm depressed. Are you kidding? Me? I have to go back to the world. I'm waiting for the MLB lockout to end. I mean, the Flyers suck. I'm like, The NBA dunk contest was terrible. Like, well, there's nothing to look forward to. It's February right now. It's 18 degrees.
1: Not to get too personal about it, but like, did you, like, Like, is that it for NBC for now? Like, obviously, you, it yeah. went well, so I'm sure they might have you back, but like, whatever they had you do, like, that was it, and you're I, I done with now? I hope so. I was now? saying
0: to Dan afterwards, I said, You know, I don't know how many people were actually watching the show on Peacock. It's called Winter Gold. If you have Peacock, go check yeah. it out. I said, But definitely, I think internally, it was well received absolutely. I said, people within the building all said, this is a really good show. It was basically a one-hour sports center. I was hosting sports center. It just wall-to-wall SV Peacock. Highlights. SV Peacock. That's exactly what it was. And so <laughs> P- Paris is the next Olympics in two years. I said, God, I, I hope I get to do this. Hopefully I get to do it from sight in Paris. So I, I emailed all the bosses to thank them. And uh, I, I hopefully there's another opportunity. I bought cannolis to thank the crew, which was a good got to play the game. I know. I was going to get pizza, but I said, there's free food here. So what, what? they don't want pizza. My wife goes, get them cannolis. You're a Jersey guy. You love the Italian culture, get a couple cannolis going. I said, okay, nobody turned down a cannoli. A couple of the wardrobe people were like, I'm eh, watching my weight. Everybody else, like, cannolis? Can I'll take a couple of those. If ever you need a gift for somebody, cannolis is the way to go. All right, let's talk a little movie, shall we? Encanto, which was released oh, on Disney+. December. Right up my alley,
1: this movie. Well, this is why. I've seen that... this more than any human. Yeah. I've seen this thing probably 79 times in the last month.
0: This is the rare. This might be the only movie we've ever done in cinephile, which you've seen before me. It came out in theaters early December. It was on Disney+, Plus, I believe, Christmas Day. My kids saw it over that time, and I just was like, well, whatever, you guys can watch it on your own. I'm only watching it now because it was Oscar-nominated, which I knew it would be. So I forced myself last night to watch it. I can't believe that it's a rare movie that you've seen before me, but here's the synopsis if you haven't seen it, or if you don't have kids, you don't care. A Colombian teenage girl has to face the frustration of being the only member of her family without magical powers. It's directed by Jared Bush, Byron Howard, and Cherise Castro-Smith. Uh, Cherries Castro Smith and Jared Bush wrote the screenplay of course we all know the main thing about this is we don't need to talk about Bruno which is on TikTok radio which is Mm -hmm. everywhere right now and by the way I finally figured out why it was not nominated for the Academy Awards because they did not submit it apparently you submit the song that you want and that song was not submitted so that's why what?
1: yeah why would they is it something that it became so popular that they're like no this is too much I
0: I (laughs) think they didn't realize it would be that big a hit they just maybe I think prematurely released whatever song it was and that's why it didn't get nominated but that's the best part of the movie it's like 49 minutes in. My kids and I were all pumped. Here we go. We love this song. Bruno, John Leguizamo. But I gotta be honest, as a film overall, I did not think it matched the other greatness of Pixar. We just had Soul come out a year ago, which I thought was outstanding. This was just a strange movie. And I think one of the big things about it was there's no clear-cut villain. It's not like a classic Pixar or Disney movie. It's almost the grandma. Yeah, Abuela is the only one who's kind of like that steely matriarch, maybe kind of uh, a dark character. Other than that, there's real no force. It's just about the supernatural and coming to terms with who you are and family disenchantment. Why is Bruno an outsider? So, as a film, I'll be honest, it's not one that I'd watch again. It's a wall-to-wall music. I mean, my brother didn't like it. He's like, God, it's like a musical. It's just a bunch of songs over and over. I'm like, yeah, but it, I do love Lin Manuel Miranda, of course, who's a part of the music. Um, and I did like the first song about the uh, the whole family. But I gotta be honest, as far as Pixar is concerned, to me, it was watered-down Pixar. If I had a vote, as far as animated films are concerned, I much preferred Luca. I much preferred Flea, of course. Flea, I did also get confirmation, the first film ever to be nominated for Best Animated Film, Best Documentary, and Best Foreign Language Film. That, to me, would be the winner. But if you're looking at a kid's movie, I thought Luca was better. And Kanto I'm only going to give it to Maple police What did you think of it?
1: I enjoyed it. It's one of those things, after I've watched it a thousand times, it's kind of like, you know, gets annoying for me. But I, I do think that the, it was a little old-fashioned, like the grandma and like the one Isabella character, like, you know, they're trying to like get her to marry this one guy. Like, it was very like old-fashioned kind of stuff that they're rebelling against and uh, I'm with you way too many characters I mean like, the, like obviously the, the opening song like kind of introduces you to them right. the star of the film though is Felix the dad who sings in with Peppa in we don't talk about Bruno's song it's hmm. the guy like the guy the, oh, yeah. the short the mustache the guy who's <laughs> like I'm sorry, me vida, go on like (laughs) if if he's not in that, we don't talk about Bruno song that that song is not as good. His little tiny lines about like, why did he tell her? Yes. I know. This is like very inside, right? Yeah. I've only seen it once. But yes, it's Felix. Yeah, Mauro he, Castillo dude, is the actor. He's fantastic he, as Felix. He's just enjoy. I just enjoy watching that character in the movie and the way he sings. Like that. That that was just a sneaky good character. But overall, it's it's just a Disney movie. It's you know what I mean. It's I'm with you that it, it's kind of the music is the star. It's Correct. not really like the actual film. It's kind of just like yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's really? predictable, right? Like you know when they're not talking about Bruno, you know Bruno's going to end up being like a decent guy.
0: Correct. I, that's I did just, not like. Think it it'd was... be weird if
1: he was a murderer in like a Disney film. <laughs> So, like, it's, a, it's kind of predictable, but the music is great. I do love the music.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, an accurate review. And as far as the name cast, leguizamo plays Bruno. Stephanie Beatrice, you know, from Brooklyn Nine Nine, she plays Maribel, the main character. And Wilmer Valderrama, also in the film as Agustin. A couple of reviews here of Encanto. Peter Travers of ABC News with its Lin-Manuel Miranda songs topping the music charts. Everyone is dancing to Bruno. The time is now to see this burst of animated family. Enchan- Peter Travers is such a blurb hog. I mean, I'm not going to read the rest of this review. Uh, Jake Wilson of The Age. Right away, there are too many human characters here and not enough jokes. But in most departments, even including Lin-Manuel Miranda's earnest songs, the craft is at the level expected from a no expense spared Disney production. That's from Jake Wilson of The Age, which is in Australia. Next film up is Parallel Mothers. As the Olympics was winding down, I've just been watching them every night, obviously. But I said, Saturday, let me go sneak out and go watch Parallel Mothers, which had been playing in Jersey earlier, but I had not had a chance to see it. I was too busy with the Olympics. So the only place it was playing was at the Angelica, which is a famed theater in New York City for a lot of independent films. But again, you know where this is going. The price of the ticket, 18 bucks to go see Parallel Mothers on a Saturday Oof. night. Plus, I'm going to New York. I got to find parking. The park, $45 on a Saturday night. So I paid $63 just to watch Parallel Mothers. Please, if Oof. you're listing the BFCA, Broadcast Film Critics Association, please get me back in next year. Send me screeners so I can save $63 rather than going to see, let's be honest, a subpar Pedro Amotovar film. Here's the story it's the story of two mothers who give birth the same day. Almodovar, of course, is a very famous filmmaker. He's made excellent movies over the years. Uh, The Skin I Live In is one of my personal favorites. Talk to Her, I think, is very good. Most people know all about my mother. He's a Spanish filmmaker who really makes great movies, particularly for women. And as with all of his work, I found this one a little bit underwhelming. I thought it was very melodramatic for my taste, although it does feature, as with always of those films, great female characters, and this time it is Penelope Cruz, who is rewarded with that performance. She was nominated for Best Actress. She said herself she wasn't sure if she'd get nominated, thought she was a dark horse contender. One of the, the couples which is nominated, both father, excuse me, husband and wife, Javier Bardem was nominated. Did not go nuts, apparently, when he got nominated for beating the Ricardos because he was sitting with Penelope Cruz and she was worried she would not get nominated. So once she got nominated, then they both started crazy celebrating. Neither, by the way, is expected to win, although Cruz might win for Best Actress. Best Actress, tough category right now. It's really wide open. Olivia Coleman, The Lost Daughter, Nicole Kidman being the Ricardos. You might have Kristen Stewart win for Spencer. It's really, really kind of up in the air right now. But the other one, of course, is uh, Jesse Plemons, who is uh, married to Kirsten Dunst, and she might win for Best Supporting Actress. He's an underdog there for Supporting Actor. Anyways, the movie's about two mothers giving birth in the same room. Dallin Cuff, spoiler alert. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to kind of tell you what the big slip is. But anyways, I'll talk a little bit more, and then I'm going to give you the spoiler. But anyways... It's about these two characters and their mothers living their lives. The one woman, Penelope Cruz, she has an affair with a guy because she's not having the affair. The other guy's married; he's having the affair. She has a relationship with him. She tells him that the baby is his. He says, "I don't think the baby is mine." She's like, "What are you talking about? I didn't sleep with anybody else." He's like, oh, well, whatever. What do you think you're gonna do?" She's like, "I'm having a kid." He's like, "Are you sure about this?" She's like, uh, "If you don't have the kid, that's fine. Let's just split now because I don't want to have a guy who's baby daddy. He doesn't want to be the baby daddy." He's like, "All right. Well, it's been fun. Peace. I'm gonna go back to my wife." Later on, he comes back says I want to see the baby. He goes there says, "I don't think this is my baby." She's like, "What?" She's like, my kid and she's like, incensed she goes again you're calling me a whore here's a spoiler alert she ends up going to get paternity tests the baby is not hers the guy was right <laughs> a rare time a jilted guy who does not want to be a dad I don't think it's good he was right it's not hers but she was not sleeping around what happened is an outlandish twist apparently they gave birth in the same room and the babies were swapped <laughs> what <laughs> That's wild. And, and it becomes even more melodramatic because Penelope Cruz finds us out after the baby, which is technically hers, which we believe is to be the other mother's. Dies a crib death. The other mother comes to her and says, Oh my god, I don't believe it. My baby died. I haven't told anybody it's a crib death. And only after she takes a paternity test does she realize that's actually her kid that died. And she now has the other mother's child. And now what will happen? I will let the rest of the movie unfold in case you're curious enough as to what the result is. But let's just say it
1: seems really icky.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it's not only icky, it's just outlandish. I just can't see this happening. And I know his stories maybe shouldn't be taken literally. It's meant to be an exploration of female empowerment and what would you do in a difficult situation and certainly Cruz she runs the gamut of all the different emotions she's an excellent actress previous Academy Award winner for Vicky Cristina Barcelona but it's not a film that I was particularly high on I'm going to give this one two Maple Leafs it's actually nominated for three Oscars it's up for Best Foreign Film which again I think a hero should have been it's up for Best Actress Penelope Cruz and it's up for Best Original Score which is shocking my friend Will told me that I go are you kidding how the hell is it up for Best Score there's nothing unusual or unique or special about the music but for some reason Parallel Mothers was rewarded for the music here's a couple of reviews uh, David Stratton of the Australian Cody loves grabbing these clips from the Australian people if you're already a fan of Almodovar's work this is essential viewing if you haven't been introduced to his very special world before Parallel Mothers would be a great place to start and Barry Hertz, one of my hometown papers that's right from Toronto Globe and Mail I was both fairly sure what Parallel Mothers might be and eager to be surprised. Thankfully, Almodovar delivers on both fronts, as Almodovar should almost always be entrusted to do. Again, I did not think it was one of his better films. A little bit disappointing for me. I'm going to give it two Maple Leafs, just as I did with Encanto. One more film to get to before we have our man Stanley Nelson, who is the director of Attica. And that is a film about a prison riot, and so only fitting... We talk about The Hurricane. Happened to be on AMC and honor of Black History Month. I want to talk about other films featuring black subject matter. And I said, wait, who better than Denzel and The Hurricane, which I've not seen? In 23 years, I enjoyed the film when it first came out. I have not changed my opinion of it. I think it's good, not great. But I think it features a great Denzel Washington performance. Here's the synopsis. The story of Reuben Hurricane Carter, a boxer wrongly imprisoned for murder, and the people who aided in his fight to prove his innocence. One of the best lines of the film, which pretty much encapsulates the entire movie, is when he says to the young boy who is trying to help get him out, along with uh, the team of Canadians, he says, Hates what put me in here. Love's going to break me out. And Denzel is a great performance. You know, he's got a little, a uh, little softer, a little doughy over the years now. I mean, for God's sakes, he's 60, but he is ripped in this movie. Like he is just as cut as, as lean as Denzel's ever looked. Obviously, playing a boxer, so the boxing scenes are done in black and white, and it's directed by noted Canadian director Norman Jewison. A lot of Canadian in this movie. Not only a Canadian director, you've got Canadian actors who are just. Absolute Canadian royalty, if you are like me recognizing these people, Al Waxman is a very known actor north of the border. He plays the warden, who, of course, is the evil guy. and the people who help Reuben Hurricane Carter here's the story again, he's a boxer, he's wrongfully imprisoned because of a racist police chief. He gets thrown in prison, and when he's in prison, by the way, Dan Hidea plays the, the, the racist cop he's so good. Later on, it's this young black child who reads Reuben Hurricane Carter's book, becomes transfixed by him, sends him a letter. He goes and meets. Hurricane, and then has his surrogate family, which is raising him. He's from Brooklyn originally, but he's being raised by a bunch of Canadians, which leads to a couple of very lame Canadian jokes. Juninson should have known better. Come on, Canadian <laughs> director. The one joke is he's like, man, it's so cold out here. He's like, oh, come on, we're Canadian. For us, this is like the summer. And then later on, one time Denzel calls him. <laughs> Ruben Hurricane calls a young <laughs> child. Hey, what are they up to? He's like, oh, you know those Canadians. They're out there raking the leaves or making maple syrup. I'm like, come on, a couple of lame jokes here. But Hedea is great because when he sees them, he gets mad. He goes, hey, you're not in Toronto, okay? Which is exactly how an American would pronounce Toronto. The second T is silent. You're not in Toronto anymore, okay? He goes, listen, Mr. Canada, get out of here. robin hurricane's guilty. He's not going anywhere. And here's the best part. The three Canadians, one of them, I have no idea who he is. Did not recognize him. His name is John Hanna. The other is Deborah Kara Unger. How about that? story about in a second. She plays Lisa. The third one? Liev Schreiber. That's right, Ray Donovan. It was it was the first movie that I'd ever seen Leah Schreiber in. And I'm like, hey, there's Ray Donovan. I, I remembered once I saw him. I'm like, yeah, I think that was, I don't know if it was his first movie. It was definitely the first movie I saw him in 23 years ago. And he looks like a you know young 25-year-old man. And he is one of these Canadians who is doing his best to try to get Reuben Hurricane Carter out of prison. It's tough to make a prison movie, right? Because naturally, you are confined. You are stuck in prison, and Denzel's in solitary in one sequence, which is absolutely riveting, in which he starts talking to himself. He's hallucinating. He's refusing to put on the prison stripes. He has too much dignity because he feels that he's in there. Obviously, he didn't commit a crime, and he's not going to put on the prison stripes. Eventually, uh, he reaches a compromise. He gets his pajamas with no stripes from one of the security guards, who has a little more kindness and benevolence. But it really is his show, and you, you just can't imagine how many prisoners over the years Black, white, brown are in prison. And don't deserve to be. The justice system has failed them. It was racist cops that put them in there, whatever mitigating circumstances it must have been. It's tough not to be impacted by the story of Reuben Hurricane Carter. One of the best examples of a movie always is when you watch it and then immediately go to your phone or your computer and Google and say, okay, let me read more about Reuben Hurricane Carter, which I remember doing when I first saw the film back in 1999. 99 one of the great years ever for movies, being John Malkovich, Magnolia. There's so many great movies that year. Uh, of course, we had that guest, Brian Rafty, who wrote a book called Best Movie Ever about 1999. I don't think he talked a lot about The Hurricane, but I think it should be, uh, obviously, belonging in that list of very good movies from that year. Other actors in the cast, you got Vincent Pastore, Big Pussy from Sopranos. He's in the movie as well. You've got David Paymer. He's great. in Mr. Saturday Night Academy Award nominated My boy Cabby and I. love that movie. It's being made into a, a play, actually, a musical. Billy Crystal's going to be doing Mr. Saturday Night on Broadway in about a month or so from now here in the city. And Rod Steiger, old relationship with Norman Jewison. Norman Jewison is a great Canadian director who has often done stories about race and racial politics, most famously with In the Heat of the Night, the late Sidney Poitier, one of his great films. And Rod Steiger plays the racist cop in that movie. He won Best Actor for that film. And here, Jewison casts his old friend, this time as the judge, who does, a uh, spoiler alert, eventually free Reuben Hurricane Carter after two decades of being wrongfully imprisoned. Again, you can't imagine what he's been through, what characters like this have been through, you can check out another good movie, The 13th. which is uh, obviously really well done, a documentary about the the prison system and how it's just so unfavorable towards African Americans. But as far as The Hurricane is concerned, I thought it was a a riveting film. And, And I'm leaving out the best part, the music. If you're a Bob Dylan fan, famously did a song called The Hurricane. Jewison uses it at the start of the movie, about a third of the movie, and the end credits. I can't remember if it won the Oscar. I definitely have a memory of Bob Dylan at the Oscars playing the song, that great harmonica. But if you've never seen The Hurricane, if you're a Denzel Washington fan, I think it's peak Denzel. It's a top five Denzel Washington performance, and especially now in honor of Black History Month, you should do yourself a favor and go check it out. Liam Lacey of Globe and Mail says, a reminder that there's still a lot to be said for the good, old-fashioned, inspirational Hollywood movie. Richard Kelly of Sight and Sound, the drama is hung on a vendetta between a flawed but honorable man and a doggedly bad cop. Yes, it's Valjean and Javert together again. That's an outstanding reference to Les Miserables. And Peter Rainer of New York Magazine Slash Vulture, the movie's dogged humorlessness and its 60s style cant don't do justice to the political cross currents in this story. One weakness I do remember from watching the film originally and now watching it again, after he's freed, the character walks out, Denzel Washington, Ruben Hurricane Carter, a freed man. There's a group of journalists and one of the journalists says to him, hey, are you still the hurricane? And very cheesy says, oh, I'll always be the hurricane. And it's beautiful today. And it cuts to a shot of the, you know, the rolling skies. Like, okay, I really could have done without that 30 seconds. But I'm not going to hold that against the movie. I'll still give it three-and-a-half Maple Leafs, good old-fashioned storytelling, a peak Denzel Washington performance. And I'm saying there's no chance Chris Cody has seen it, but you will try to watch it for next week, maybe?
1: I'm on it. I like this theme of me just doing outdated reviews after you do them, so I will watch The Hurricane.
0: <laughs>
1: or Parallel so Mothers. So I think I think uh, Hurricane's more up my alley, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I do not think Parallel Mothers is something you're going to like. But again, the reason I want to see it was, like I, I feel like... Uh, I feel like a chef when he completes his masterpiece. I've now seen every film nominated for this year's Academy Awards in 13 categories. I've seen all the nominees for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Cinematography, Best Original Screenplay, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound, and there's three other categories. And if I knock them out, if I knock out Cruella, And Cyrano, I'll have seen best costume design. And if I see Shang-Chi and The Legend of Ten Rings, I'll knock up best visual effects. There's nobody you've met, Chris Cody, who's a cinephile.
1: You're such a cinephile. You should host host
0: a podcast. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And you still have seen
0: one of the nominees for Best Picture sticking to that, baby. I'm
1: consistent, okay?
0: I'm not going to change for you, Adnan. That's true. You're (laughs) not going to change for you. You're not trying to butt up to the boss here. Not that I'm your boss. We're friends. No, we're All right. It's time now for uh, the start of the show. Stanley Nelson, director of Attica, currently available on Showtime and available on YouTube for free. Enjoy the interview.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?
0: Real pleasure to bring in Stanley Nelson. He is a Peabody and Emmy award-winning filmmaker, and now Oscar nominee for best documentary feature. It's called Attica. It's streaming on Showtime. It's a fantastic documentary. Uh, Stanley's career, by the way, is phenomenal. Documentaries over the years: Freedom Riders, Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool, The Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution. There's lots to talk about. Uh, Stanley, first and foremost, thank you for the time. Congratulations on the Oscar nomination.
3: yeah thank you so much.
0: Attica is fantastic. I watched it uh, just a little under two hours and it's riveting entertainment. And I say that because I think the first thought is, wait, why do I want to watch a story about prison drama and this horrible situation? But it's provocative and yet very involving and it's ultimately deeply sympathetic to the prisoners. What, how much did you know about the story prior to researching
3: Well, I was actually, you know, alive when Attica happened. So I I knew a little bit about it, you know, um, kind of the broad outlines. I knew that there was a rebellion at the prison and uh, they held it for five days and it it ended tragically. I think one of the main things I didn't know was like why they rebelled and then why it ended like it ended. Um, and so, um, you know, the film is, is, is really, it's almost like a, a thriller. It's like a real roller coaster ride through those five days that the prisoners held in prison.
0: Yeah, I and mean, you're right. It, it really is that ups and downs. And, and to kind of go backwards, I thought one of the closing sound bites really encapsulated the entire film and the entire event by saying they didn't need to do that. Like this there's this is just an extreme measure of excessive violence. And it's something which, you know, you see Nixon making a phone call at one point. You know, it's something which the entire hierarchy is culpable. And the fact that they're like, All right, we're gonna teach these guys a lesson. And to have that kind of
3: violence, just, just
0: murdering inmates, it's insane.
3: Yeah, it, it is it is a crazy story. And it, it, it goes from, you know, the inmates who are trapped, you know, in a yard in 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 Attica and they don't really know what's going on outside the walls. The townspeople of Attica, you know, there's a 250 miles from New York, uh, the townspeople of Attica are gathered outside the, the uh, walls and they don't know what's going on inside. And then uh, Governor Rockefeller, you know, Nelson Rockefeller, one of the richest men in the world, is, uh, is on top of the whole prison system. He's really in charge and he has a huge role. And then Nixon, President Nixon, is in his ear. You know, so it, so it goes from, you know, these, these, these prisoners in the yard to all the way to highest levels of of, uh, government in the United States.
0: And I love how you set the stage at Attica. I mean, that area, everybody in the city, you know, either your dad or your mom worked as a corrections officer. I mean, everybody there, the prison is like literally the economic base for everything. So everybody is touched by Attica. That one word now means so much because of that. But at that time, to have that thing happen, that is shattering an entire community, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the most amazing things, uh, in, in the film is that the the hostages' um, uh, relatives are in the film, you know, and they, they actually talk about how they feel. They talk about, you know, what Attica, the town, was like, you know, this kind of 250 miles from New York, this all-white town, and, you know, they're, they're living in some ways, for them, the American dream. But it's all based on... Uh, people working in this prison. And one of the things that that obviously is a subtext of the film is, is that it's still happening all over the country today, that we build prisons in these remote places, in small towns, and then the towns kind of are built around the prison and, and life really revolves around the townspeople working in the prison, although they are not represented in any way in, in the inmates that are in the prison.
0: One of the things that I think is so strong that you make really sympathetic to the prisoners is, Yes, they're in jail. Yes, they're imprisoned, but they're being treated like absolute dirt. Like one of the prisoners is talking about they had one roll of toilet paper, and that toilet paper is supposed to last you for the entire month. Like it's just – if you actually put that into context, you go – and I understand, Stanley, those who are hard-bitten and say, well, they're in prison. That's a prison. But this is not a prison. Like, this is a next level, the way these guys are being treated like dirt, Right.
3: Yeah, I mean, so they they were you know treated from indignities small, you know, like one roll of toilet paper a month, and you could not get any more. As he says, you, know, you had to tear pages out of books, you know, because uh, you couldn't get any more toilet paper. You know, one roll a month, and and. and it went all the way up to being beaten, you know, and if if you complained about treatment to, to then being isolated and and, and and put in isolation cells and being beaten even more. So it, they, they were in horrible, horrible circumstances. And that's one of the answers to what, one of my questions originally, which was like, why did they rebel?
0: And with all your documents, race plays such a pivotal factor. And. The fact that it's just disproportionately African American, like the inmates, like it's, it's not even close. You see images of so many black prisoners. And I really commend one of the white inmates for being so honest in saying, I used the fact I was white to my advantage. I said to the other guards, hey okay, man, I'm white. We're on the same team. Like, hey, I got to do what I got to do around here. I mean, that's, that's how serious the issue of race was taken.
3: You're talking about how victory is just incredible in the film, because, you know, he says, look, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sad, uh, sad to say it today. I'm sorry to say it, but I had to take advantage of what I could take advantage uh, of to survive. And I was a white guy and all the gods were white. And so I would say, you know, I'm a white guy. Give me more food or you know, Give me whatever he could get. And, you know, he's his honesty is, is just incredible uh, in the film
0: it's been over 50 years now since attica the famous prison riot and the tragedy which then ensued how hard was it to find subjects who could talk about it just because the the passage of time trying to locate people prisoners inmates sons and daughters of corrections officers how much legwork was that for you
3: yeah i mean it was a ton of legwork a ton of legwork to 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 first find the people you know once you know we found a couple and we would ask them if they were in touch with anybody else and you know um we had some great researchers you know who had who have done a lot of work in prisons, and they would find people. And then there was uh, a, we then had to, I don't want to use the word convince, but we then had to talk to people about what we were doing and try to get them to understand so that they could um, participate in the film. But we didn't want to try to convince people, you know, what. What you learn to be really good at at a producer as a producer is to tell people, oh yeah, you know, it's really good. It'll be really good for you to tell your story, you know. <laughs> just to, and you know, we've, for some people, it, they might not want to tell their story. So for some people, it would, it would be heartbreaking to to bring them back there. So we try to just be honest, to lay out what we were doing, and then to let people make their choices. Uh, whether to be in the film or not.
0: Some of the most harrowing images of the entire documentary take place at the end when you see rows upon rows of prisoners stripped naked and at one point, I think one of the prisoners is saying they're, they're sticking like, you know, billy clubs up their butts and just like horrific stuff. That image, I mean, those stills you had of those primarily, again, black prisoners completely naked, just stripped of all dignity. It was so powerful to see.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that uh, you know, one thing we have to do when when we talk about the film, you know, Attica is talk about the footage and the images and the pictures, because in many ways, that's what makes the film. I mean, the images are just, you know, unbelievable. And I've done a number of historical films, you know, in the last 30, 40 years that I've been making them, but I've never seen anything like this, you know, and, and the still pictures are just incredible because there's hundreds and hundreds of, of prisoners, all stripped completely naked. With not a, not a strip of clothing on, not their socks. They're totally naked. They're made to snake around the yard with their hands on their head, uh, and you know, um, for no for no reason except to humiliate them. But the footage is just really incredible throughout, because on the first day of the rebellion, when the prisoners first took over, one to understand that, that they took forty hostages. So they were prison guards and and civilian workers that were held hostage. So that's why law enforcement couldn't come into the prison and retake it right away because they were hostages. But they also said that they wanted the news media to come in. That's what the prisoners said. They said, "Okay, we want the news media to come in. We want them to film the whole thing so that they thought that that would afford them some kind of protection. Right. If the world saw what was going on, the negotiations and and what was going on inside, they would in some way be protected. And so, you know, for us as filmmakers, I mean, there's just the footage is just incredible. And and up to the point where they retake the prison and you see law enforcement, you know, firing 500 law enforcement, firing guns into the smoke and killing people um, just indiscriminately.
0: Yeah, you can understand the perspective of the prisoners, right? They're just being treated in humane conditions. They've got to take action. What you can't understand is why the prison system then feels like they've got to murder these people. Like, I I kept thinking afterwards, okay, how do you solve the situation? You know, What's the easy answer? Well, the answer is you don't treat them like subhuman beings in the first place, which then would not lead to the revolt, which then would not lead to senseless murder. And you mentioned the point of the media. I liked one of the black reporters. The guy who was there broadcasting what was happening, and obviously a sympathetic situation, at one point he's getting called the N word. And he's like, hang on a second, don't treat me the way you treat every other black person,
3: right? Yeah, I mean John Johnson. It was who was a, a you know a hugely famous reporter in, in in New York because he was you know like the one of the first black reporters you know and he was always cool and always had a suit and had a you know beautiful little afro and stuff you know so he was hugely famous and and you know they send him up to Attica and and you know his his daily reports are just incredible um, from Attica and you know he was still he's still alive and so we interview him in the film and he's just just amazing. Um, because, you know, he's looking at it as an as a news person. But also when he first goes into Attica, one of the great scenes, he goes into Attica and people are saying, hey, J.J., hey, J.J., hey. <laughs> and he's like, wait, I, I know you from Harlem. I grew up with you in Bed-Stuy. And he, as he says, you know, and they were in Attica.
0: It's sobering to think about. It. And all I knew about Attica going in, you know, where I'm going with this, the great Al Pacino, Dog right. Day Afternoons. <laughs> The AD on the set, and the, all the direction is from Lumet is to get the crowd fired up. And the AD says, say Attica. And Pacino goes, what? And he goes, say Attica. The crowd will go nuts. And sure enough, it's one of the most indelible scenes in movies. Pacino yelling, Attica, Attica. Did you give any thought to putting that scene in the movie? I know it doesn't necessarily yeah. fit, but, yeah. but it's such a cultural touchstone that I didn't think of Attica, I think of Pacino.
3: Yeah, no, but I, you know, obviously, we we thought we thought about that, that a lot, um, but you know, it it does it didn't really fit in, in and you know, we would do it, it it's almost like you know, look, the 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 film is is goes day by day, and it's 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 this really kind of roller coaster ride, and we thought that that by putting opportunity, around, we would take it sideways. You know, and we didn't we didn't go sideways because like the story that we're telling is just so freaking amazing. I mean, it's incredible. And and the the uh, the witnesses that we have, you know, from the the inmates to the townspeople to John Johnson and and other reporters to the negotiators, you know, because the uh, inmates demanded that certain people come in that they thought would be sympathetic. So they they demand the publisher of the Amsterdam News. They they uh, they de- they demand um, a Wicker who was a, a writer who had written some some uh, nice things, and, and John John Dunn who was a state senator who who was on the prison committee. So so and and a bunch of those people miraculously were were, were still were still alive and um, are just incredible in the film because for everybody that was involved with Attica on the ground. It was life changing, and you see that over and over again. You know, in everybody that talks about it. You know, the the inmates, um, three or four of them were shot during the takeover. Um, you know, and they talk about the freedom that they had, you know, for a couple of days in the yard. So it's um, the witnesses are just incredible in, in the film. And, and I, you know, I, I'm actually right now just, just making a series of calls to, to them all to say thank you. And unbelievably, we're nominated for an Academy Award. But thank you so much for, for giving us your stories and, and your memories.
0: And that's how vital the Oscars are. For anybody who says, well, how come the Oscars are so important, they're not as important as they once were, you know how many nonfiction films get made. And you know how many people say, once the nominations are out, okay, I'll watch these five in the six weeks before the nominations and the awards. So Attica is going to be seen by so many more people now, Stanley. It's available on Showtime and streaming for free on YouTube. The fact you got that Oscar nomination, it's massive, right?
3: It's incredible, you know, and sometimes I think, well... You know, why should it matter so much? You know, like, why should I be so excited? You know, the Oscar doesn't matter, but it matters. You know, It matters. It matters not, you know, uh, so much for me personally, but it does matter for me personally, but it matters really for the film and the fact that people are going to see the film. And, and uh, you know, Showtime, to their credit, has made it available on YouTube for free for yeah. everybody. You know, you don't have to have Showtime, um, but, you know... Um, if, if I, I think it's, it's, it's just an incredibly powerful, powerful, powerful film. Um, and, you know, I mean, we're just we're just amazed, you know, and sometimes I have to pinch myself. I say, you know, well, wait, this is a film about a prison riot that happened 50 years ago yeah. and it's nominated for an Academy Award. But it's nominated because it's, it's just a, a hugely powerful story. The footage is incredible, and, and, and the eyewitnesses, and, and what actually happened, the story is just so amazing.
0: I couldn't agree more. Make sure everyone check out Attica. It's on Showtime, and as Stanley just mentioned, streaming for free on YouTube. Uh, what do you think about just prison movies in general? Do you have a thought on The Last Castle, Longest Yard, the show Oz? Did you, did you get into other prison incarceration films?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think they're, 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 they're always, you know, fascinating because in a way, you know, prison films are like Westerns, you know, yeah. like, like they, you can reinterpret, you know, the, 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 the prison experience in so many different ways. You know, so that, you know, you think you've seen one and, you know, you've seen the Birdman of Alcatraz and, and, and you see something else. And, and so, you know, I, I think it, it's um, uh, it, it's almost like the blues, you know, or, or, or reggae. You, know, you take a form, but then you keep inventing uh, and, and, and riffing on, on, on the form.
0: I encourage everyone to check out Attica. Stanley Nelson was our guest today. Peabody, an Emmy Award winning filmmaker. Where do you keep your Peabody and where do you keep your Emmy?
3: Well, if you we can look over like this, is my shoulder <laughs> There's prominently displayed. There's an enemy there. I, I, I used to have them like on, on this table right here, you know, like 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 land up for Zoom calls. But then, you know, I was like, oh, this is so corny. I, I got like, I'm going to take them all away. But, you know, like, uh, right. So like right here. <laughs> I keep them close. I keep them close just in case. Couple more to
0: go. Give me your best story about Miles Davis. You've made Miles Davis Birth of the Cool.
3: God, Miles, Miles is just a trip. You know, so so my father was, you know, was like six foot two, you know, and he he was a dentist and he and he like was impeccably dressed. I mean, just like impeccably dressed. And he said, he said, uh, you know, he went to a party and Miles Davis followed him around the party saying, You think you're so cool, I'll kick your ass. I'll kick your ass. I ain't no clock. Cool, kick your ass. <laughs> I just kick your ass. <laughs> and my father's like, would you just leave me alone? I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and yeah, and say, so you, my father, six two. Wow, miles might be five seven on a good day, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of the great musicians of all time. I and mean, he wants to kick your dad's ass just because yeah. your dad is a dressed. the dress. That's Miles. All the contrad- all the contradictions. And Black Panthers, I'm just curious. You made the documentary of The Black Panthers, Vanguards of the Revolution. What did you think of Judas and the Black Messiah?
3: I loved it. I loved it. You know, um, I I thought it I thought it was great. And I thought that um uh you know it was it's it's great to to be able to tell you know a sympathetic kind of Hollywood story about the Black Panthers, you know um, we cover you know the incident uh, you know with Fred Hampton you know in 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 uh, Black Panthers Vanguard of the Revolution so um, you know we, we we covered that incident and, and and that's another one where where the the reality is is just as 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 amazing as as the fiction you know so there, there's there's so much you know more to the story that that, that we covered uh, you know in the film so if you get a chance to see it people should should definitely see that film
0: yeah freedom riders miles davis birth of the cool the black panthers vanguard of the revolution and now attica it's available on showtime and for free on youtube it is nominated for an academy award for best Documentary. Stanley, it's a it's a phenomenal piece of work i really uh, commend you on doing something really important and special and thank you so much for the time today
3: thank you thank you so much
0: Alright, thanks once again to Stanley Nelson. As we close up shop, I'd mentioned this a while ago to Chris, and we fear we do it now. It's great actor or great role. Ooh. I, I sometimes I sometimes see actors and say, okay, is this guy actually good or is it just a great role? Like maybe you could do it, I could do it, Billy could do it. I mean this isn't that
1: tough. This needs some imaging. Let's let's hit it. Yeah. It's time for great actor or great role. Take it away, Adnan.
0: All right, I like that. Listen, <laughs> we're going next. We're blowing up the budget here. I like the who says I don't we're, do anything. Where are you at, Tully? Yeah, exactly, Tully. Tully <laughs> hopefully, Tully is still listening. I appreciate that. <laughs> the guy I want to mention is John Hamm, and this hurts me a bit because. He's a huge hockey guy. Every single time there's an NHL event, there's John Hamm. He loves St. Louis Blues. He does promos for the Blues on their local telecast. He's always at All-Star Weekend. The guy loves his hockey, and I appreciate an American who's big into the hockey. But I gotta be honest: is he just an actor who is not only great looking? but a great actor or a great role. Mad Men made him into a star. Don Draper, this excellent anti-hero. Nobody looks better in a suit, great hair, but he's a miserable guy, he's a womanizer, he's an alcoholic, he's hiding a terrible past, he's stolen another guy's identity. Then he became a movie actor, became a movie star. But is he actually a star? When you look at his acting and you look at his performances, he's rarely had a big hit. He's been in movies that are hits, but when he tries to carry a film, it generally has not gone very well. He's 50 years old. He was in the film Baby Driver. You don't even know he was in it. He's in The Town. That's a Ben Affleck movie with a great Jeremy Renner performance, but Ham does play a cop in it. Tag was a huge bomb. He's one of the voices in Shrek. I didn't even know that he was. Keeping Up With the Joneses, okay. Top Gun Maverick coming out this year, apparently he's in. Bad Times at El Royale, didn't even realize it. Richard Jewell, small role. He's good in the film. He's effective, but he's not carrying the movie. Uh, Sam Rockwell's great in that film. Uh, Beirut he's in, never saw it. When he tries to be the star of the movie, Million Dollar Arm, which I saw at the screening because I was at ES at the time, they had all the baseball guys there. Steve Levy's in it, uh, Jason Stark is in it. Below average movie. And this is, I'm like, like he's the star. It's John Hamm's face, baseball movie, a couple of Indian guys trying to make the, the major leagues. I'm like, this movie is very average. And what's what, it was not a hit. Um, 30 Rock, he was in again. Small role, he shows up, he's funny in it. No sudden move, supporting role, not great. This feels like a great role.
1: I think this might just be a great role. You might be hitting the nail on the head on I this one. I think he's a
0: great role. I don't think he's a great actor. He's never carried a film with the exception of the show Mad Men, which, again, again if you're a huge fan, you could argue you know, it was Matthew Wiener's writing and the supporting cast is so good. But I do, I do think that's him being a great role. The Jesus Rules, my worst film of last year. He's in that movie as well. I ask you, Chris Cody, great actor or great role? <sighs>
1: I mean... Are we gonna do this with Jerry Seinfeld? See, Jerry Seinfeld? At least after Seinfeld was like, I don't need to do anything else. Right. John Hamm has like attempted to do a lot of other things, and they've fallen flat. It's a great role, but could somebody else have played John Hamm in that role in Mad Men? Like, what?
0: Yeah, I think so. Like, I think he was great, but I think if you found yeah. another unknown actor who could deliver that kind of writing, you'd be like, oh, that's just a great role. That's great role. Yeah. It's settled. It is settled. John Hamm is Good great. Segment. Role. If you disagree? Yeah, this is a great segment. Cinephile Pod. Or Adnan S. Furek. Tweet us, let us know. Let us know who else you want us to do as far as great actor, great role. I think it'll be a fun little segment allows us to mix things up a little bit. All right, thanks so much for checking out Cinephile. Next week. Uh, the Worst Person in the World. What a great title. It's nominated for Best Foreign Film. It's also for Best Screenplay. I'll review that. Plus, we'll go back in the archives and watch an old movie. And guest-wise, I don't know who we got. I'm sure we got some good guests coming up. But as always, do support the podcast. And you're listening to this on Thursday, so by now, you should have also already heard me on the Dan Levitard Show. Support Levitard. Support Levitard and Friends. Got a new basketball podcast, Basketball Illuminati. So support all things Metal art, And I'll see you at the movies.